Today, we go through everything you need to know about Joe Biden, from his personal history to his political history, from the Senate to the vice presidency, from his corruption to his gaffes. Everything. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like the government spying on you? Then visit expressvpn.com slash pen to stay anonymous. We'll get to everything in the news, plus a full breakdown of everything you need to know about Joe Biden. Today is the episode that you're going to send to your friends who are thinking about voting for Joe Biden, just so they have the full information on exactly whom they are voting for. Not just who they're voting against. I understand a lot of people voting against Trump, but who they are voting for. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let's talk about the fact that if you look at that bill, like every month, you look at your your bills every month, one of the big ticket items on your bill is probably your cell phone bill. And you think to yourself, well, that's something that can't change. I mean, after all, I need my cell phone. Well, yeah, you do, and you need great coverage. But what if you could get that exact same coverage for like half the price? What if you were spending way too much money on that cell phone bill and that repeating bill would not have to impoverish you anymore? I'm talking about switching to Pure Talk USA. What if there were a company that gave you that amazing deal every day? That's what you get with Pure Talk, a veteran-run wireless company. Think AT&T, but much better. They understand what it means to serve Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile. If you're with them, you are overpaying pure and simple. Pure Talk can easily save you over 400 bucks a year. Listen. This is all you need. Unlimited talk, text, two gigs of data for just 20 bucks a month. If you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. Switching to Pure Talk, it's the easiest decision you're going to make today. You can keep your phone and your number, or you can get great deals on your latest iPhone or Android. The fact is that most phone companies are intentionally trying to charge you too much money by telling you that you need unlimited data. You probably don't need unlimited data. What you need is what Pure Talk is going to give you, unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data. And again, if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it, and it's going to cost you 20 bucks a month. Grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. When you do, you save 50% off your first month. Dial pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Go join them right now. Dial pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro to get started and save tons of money on your wireless bill with Pure Talk USA. Okay, so update on the polls. We are now less than one week away from the election. We are watching this race tighten nearly everywhere. So we are seeing in the Senate, for example, that in Maine, the Sarah Gideon-Susan Collins race has tightened dramatically. The latest polls there show that this race is basically nearly a dead heat. There's a recent poll that had them within one point. If you look at the Senate race in Iowa, it now looks as though that is a margin of error race between Joni Ernst and Greenfield, who's the Democrat over there. In Georgia, it looks like the Republicans are probably going to take Georgia. It looks as though South Carolina is starting to open up dramatically with Lindsey Graham jumping to a nearly 10-point lead in the latest polls. So the, the Senate is very much up for grabs. The race in North Carolina between Tom Tillis and Cal Cunningham is now within margin of error with a couple of late-breaking polls with showing Tillis up a little bit by a couple of points, but certainly this thing is basically a dead heat. Meanwhile, in the presidential race, the national average for Joe Biden has now dropped. It was close to 10 points just a couple of weeks ago. It is now 7.1 points, and there are several polls showing this thing narrowing pretty dramatically. There's an Emerson poll showing Biden up just five, an IBD-TIPP poll showing Biden up just four, and a Rasmussen poll showing Biden up just two, all of which came out in the last two days. So this race is tightening dramatically because in the final moments, a lot of Republicans are coming home. And maybe some Democrats are thinking to themselves, "Eh, I'm not sure I love this Joe Biden character. If you look at the battlegrounds, things are tightening dramatically in states across the board. Florida in the Real Clear Politics poll average is now trending Trump. Trump is now up in the Real Clear Politics poll average in Florida. As I predicted, I think Florida is going to go for Trump. Georgia, Trump is up. North Carolina is a dead heat. I mean, literally a dead heat. 
The Real Clear Politics poll average right now puts Biden at 48.7 and Trump at 48. Arizona, Biden has just a two-point lead. In Pennsylvania, it is just a 3.8-point lead for Joe Biden. There's an entire article in the New York Times today about why it feels like Donald Trump may, in fact, win Pennsylvania again. There's an entire article in the New York Times by Sean McCreish, an editorial assistant for the opinion section called Can We Trust Pennsylvania's Polls? They show Joe Biden clinching crucial counties. So why does it feel so different on the ground here? And he has an entire piece here talking about how if you drive around rural Pennsylvania, the fact is that this is Trumplandia. I mean, that's literally how he describes it. He says, polls show Mr. Biden leading by five to 13 points in Pennsylvania, but I grew up around here and I'm dubious. This place, the land of hoagies and Bradley Cooper and Rocky Balboa worship and Tina Fey's cousin Karen Accent has transmogrified in Trump, into Trumplandia. He has so much more support than in 2016 because it's been four years of accomplishments, said Darina Thompson, 49, a homemaker who was talking with a group of women outside a Trump store. They were part of a caravan that had just encircled the Democrats' rally to say bye-bye to Biden and let his supporters know they were outnumbered. Pollsters say that suburban women are President Trump's kryptonite that they've turned on him. At another Pennsylvania rally, the president pled, suburban women, will you please like me? I feel like that's wrong. We're the majority, said Jennifer Gerard, 41, a single mother working in consumer goods who is standing near a pink Dodge Challenger emblazoned with women for Trump. Gerard said she was part of a group that raised enough money to erect a women for Trump billboard over the stretch of I-95 that crosses from the city into the suburbs. A lot of these women are obviously big Trump fans, but the fact remains that there are a lot of Trump supporters in Pennsylvania and things seem to be dramatically narrowing in Pennsylvania. Even Nate Silver is pointing out that this is not a, a large Biden lead. Nationally speaking, he may have a very solid lead, but in the swing states, he does not. In Pennsylvania, things have really closed up. In Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Ohio, those are all states that Trump either will win or is on the verge of winning. And remember, Joe Biden, he can win the popular vote by a fairly significant margin. He can still lose the election. In fact, according to a study from uh, that was headlined over at Newsweek last week, if Joe Biden carried the popular vote by four points, Donald Trump has an 88% shot of winning the Electoral College. So if this thing shrinks within four points, all of a sudden Donald Trump gets reelected. This doesn't mean that Donald Trump is, uh, is definitely favored at this point. Nothing like it. It does mean that as people look at the real possibility of Joe Biden being president, not just at Donald Trump not being president, but at Joe Biden being president, they are, they are feeling a little more skittish. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, who released an ad yesterday pointing out why it is the Democrats really should not be allowed to lead the country forward. This is one of the best ads of the campaign put out by the Senate Majority Pack. Here is uh, what it sounded like. Late nights, the early mornings, the door knocking, the phone banking. We've put in the work. We have the team. And the stakes couldn't be higher. You're considered the most liberal United States senator. I... Everything is on the line. Now there's only one thing left to do. Hold the line. Go vote. That really is going to be the Republican line here, is that the threat of Democrats is so bad that they cannot be let in charge of power. And when you watch what's happening in Philadelphia, which is being basically blacked out by the media, I mean, I'm looking at the front pages of, of various major publications, and there's very, very little coverage of what's happening in Philadelphia. So overnight, there were these massive riots in Philadelphia. 1,000 people looted the local Walmart. Why? Well, because the cops shot a black man who was charging at them with a knife. He had a knife. They told him to put it down. He was within 10 feet. They tried to back away. He refused to listen to their orders. They shot him. This has now created two straight nights of brutal rioting across Philadelphia. 
And those riots resulted in some pretty shocking footage. Okay, the, the, and, and listen to the headlines from the media. I mean, this is, this is how you know that the Democrats are scared about Pennsylvania because they refuse to cover this stuff. They just refuse. Here is how CNN headlined this. Protests erupt for a second night after a black man fatally shot by Philadelphia police. Missing a little bit of context, as we would say, in the fact-checking business, aren't you? It wasn't just that a black man was shot by the police. It was that a black man was holding a knife, and they told him to put down the knife repeatedly, and he approached them repeatedly, and then they shot him. But apparently, that no longer matters. I love it. Listen to the top headline at CNN right now. Philadelphia sees more protests over fatal police shooting. Here's what one of those protests looked like in Philadelphia last night. This doesn't look like a protest. This looks like a full-scale riot with people looting, stealing a pair of shoes to, uh, to protest systemic American racism because nothing says systemic American racism quite like the cops allowing people to uh, loot the Walmart. Does this look like a, a protest to you? Right here, what you're watching? Doesn't look like a protest to me. The prior night, 30 police officers were injured, including a 56-year-old female police officer who was hit with a truck, broke her leg. You can see cars are literally pulling up to the Walmart. People are getting out of the cars. They're running into the Walmart and they are just absconding with TVs. And, and this is what Democrats are presiding over. Democrats are okay with this. And they, they make noises about how they're not super fond of it. What exactly are they doing to stop it? The mayor of Philadelphia, who's a Democrat, said there were serious questions to be asked about the incident. There were not. The police chief, who's a Democrat, said the same thing. This is the world that Democrats are apparently okay with because America is systemically and institutionally racist. Thousands of people looting local stores. Why would you ever invest in a business in Philadelphia again watching this happen? Seriously. Well, at least the protesters, the protesters here, some of them look like they're wearing masks. That's, that's really the important thing I noticed. Okay, so what exactly is the case against Trump when it comes down to it? The case against Trump is just that Trump is a big, bad orange man who's very bad in orange. The Lincoln Project cut what I think is the single funniest ad I have ever seen in my entire life yesterday. This ad sums up all of liberal feeling. So the Lincoln Project, first of all, just kudos. I mean, really, just all sorts of props on being the greatest grift I have ever seen. It's an incredible grift because the Lincoln Project, you will recall, was begun by a bunch of former Republican strategists who couldn't make money in Republican politics anymore and decided they were not just anti-Trump, they were anti the entire Republican Party. That's how you know it's a grift. It is one thing to say you don't like Trump and you don't want to see him in the White House. It is another thing to say that Susan Collins needs to lose her Senate race because you don't like Donald Trump. But that's what the Lincoln Project has done. So the Lincoln Project has raised tens of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars from Democrats because Democrats think, oh, these are our converts. These are, these are people who, who have decided to leave Trump behind and they're, they're going to lead the fight here. Okay, five seconds. If Donald Trump is not in office anymore, the Lincoln Project will be tossed on the side of the road like a used condom. They'll be done, right? No one's going to care about these people. No one's going to like them. No one's going to care about them. They'll go back to being, you know, tepid Republican racists in five seconds flat, but they, they are cutting some pretty amusing ads and paying themselves lots of money to do so. So here is an ad they cut against Trump. This is their closing ad against Trump in the waning days of the election. It's a mother walking into her sleeping child. Hey, honey. Mommy. You asked me to wake you and tell you what happened in the election. Who won? Trump. Trump won. But I thought you could only be president two times. Not anymore. <laughs> 
Stop it, more it will never stop. Oh, about oh my god, that ad. Ooh, ooh. Sorry. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. Oh, that's some funny bleep right there. Ooh. So the Lincoln Project's pitch is that if you don't stop Trump now, he's going to be president forever, forever. I just want to point out, there's only one president in American history who has served uh, more than two terms. It was FDR. He's a Democrat. That's when, they, uh, that's when they passed a constitutional amendment saying that you could only serve two terms. Not sure exactly how the Lincoln Project thinks that Trump uh, will uh, continue to serve after two terms, but apparently that is the great fear. They don't even have to make a case against Trump. They're just, that, that's some funny stuff right there. Well, it turns out that those scare tactics may in fact not be working because it turns out on the other side, and this is something I've been pointing out for a while, when you vote against Donald Trump, you are voting in favor of Joe Biden. I don't mean if you vote for a third party or something or you just don't vote. I'm talking about if you vote for Joe Biden, you vote for Joe Biden. And it turns out that Joe Biden, there are a few themes to his career. And we're going to go through all of them. The first theme is that Joe Biden has switched every position he has ever held on a major issue. There are only a couple of exceptions to that rule, and they are in the far left direction. The man moves with the wind. He is not a principled person in any way, shape, or form. Okay, that's point number one. Number two, he's been engaged in low-level corruption and sometimes somewhat high-level corruption his entire career. Not the kind of stuff that violates the law, but exactly the kind of swampy behavior that you would expect from a 47-year politician who's been in Congress since he was 29 years old, since he was elected at 29 years old. The third theme is that he's been wrong on every single foreign policy issue he has ever set eyes upon. Every single one. He's been wrong on all of them. And so if there are themes to Joe Biden's career, it's that he moves with the wind, he's wrong on everything foreign policy related, and that he is low-level to high-level corrupt. And then he's a gaffe machine, if there's another theme. Right? All of these things are well-known about Joe Biden. But from, to my mind, it is the very first thing that he shifts with the wind. That's what makes Joe Biden scary, because he's been campaigning as Captain Return to Normalcy. He's been campaigning as, I am a return to all that is good and steady in American life. Remember, one of the reasons that Donald Trump was elected in the first place is because the old normal was not very good. It turns out that the old normal, which was filled with corrupt politicians like Joe Biden, was filled with corrupt politicians like Joe Biden. And not only that, it was filled with politicians who were going to basically follow the diktats of the radical left. And that's what's going to happen. This dude is not a bulwark against the radical left. He is not a return to normalcy. He's a gateway drug to radicalism. We're going to get to more of this in just one second. We're going to run down everything you need to know about Joe Biden's soup to nuts in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that if you are engaged in business, if you're a business person, one of the things that you may notice is that your call volume has been going down. And one of the reasons your call volume may have been going down is because nobody likes to use the phone that way. What people like to do is text. I have not actually put a call into a company for probably several years at this point. Instead, I like to text people because it takes less time. I don't have to wait on the phone or anything like that. Well, what do you need to do? You need to convert a lot of your business communications to text. And this is where Podium comes in. 97% of text messages get opened. If you're a business owner and you're trying to market to somebody, text messages get opened. 90% are opened within three minutes. You need to be texting your company, your customers, and they need to be able to text you. If you're spending time on the phones, scheduling appointments, you need Podium. If you're sending invoices in the mail, you need Podium. If you need to convert more sales from your website, you need Podium. Podium, it's a business messaging tool that gets you off the phone and into texting. If you're not using texting to reach your customers, you are simply leaving money on the table. Podium brings all your messages into one centralized inbox your whole team can access, letting you save time while responding to customers faster. If you need more reviews on Google or Facebook, text it. If you need to send an invoice, go ahead and text it. If you need to schedule an appointment, you just send a text. 
Podium customers have seen some fantastic results recently. A plumbing company converted 16% of their web traffic into leads. A national retailer collected 18,000 reviews across its locations. A property management company increased revenue by 20%. I mean, whatever your business is, texting is going to help. For a limited time, sign up for 20% off your plan. They are so confident that if Podium does not make your business better within 90 days, they will send you a $150 Amazon gift card for the holidays. Go to podium.com slash Shapiro to get started. That is 20% off. If you go to P-O-D-I-U-M, podium.com slash Shapiro again, go to podium.com slash Shapiro today to get 20% off. And again, they're so confident that either it's going to work within 90 days or they're going to send you a $150 Amazon gift card for the holidays. Pretty solid deal. Podium.com slash Shapiro to get started today. Okay, so let's go through Joe Biden. I know we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Joe Biden. That's the way Joe Biden would prefer it. Joe Biden has spent this entire campaign hiding in the basement and refusing to ask simple questions like, would you like to pack the court? He says things like, I, I, I don't think I, I need to answer that question because then you'd be talking about me and you wouldn't be talking about Donald Trump. Right, that's the point. That's the point because if people look full, full in the face the Joe Biden candidacy, they see a couple things. They see Joe Biden and they see standing right behind him grinning Kamala Harris because they know that with Joe Biden, what you probably get is a Kamala Harris administration, but Biden himself is bad enough. So let's start with uh, Joe Biden's life story. So Joe Biden was born in 1942 in Scranton, Pennsylvania. That's a long time ago, gang. Okay, like that is a very, very, very long time ago. He is, a, he is an elderly gentleman. His family moved to Delaware when he was nine. He likes to talk about how he's from Scranton. Okay, he's from Scranton in the same way that I'm from Burbank. I moved from Burbank when I was 11. He moved from Scranton when he was nine. Okay. He was a self-described poor student in high school, but he was popular. His, uh, his crappy academic record uh, maintained throughout his academic career. He went to University of Delaware. He was ranked 506th in a class of 688. He went to Syracuse College of Law. He ranked 76th out of a class of 85. Again, you can be not a great student. You can still be a good politician. That's quite possible. You don't have to be brilliant to be a good politician. Problem is, as we'll see, Joe Biden is typical politician. He received draft deferments for Vietnam while he was in school. He won his first Senate race in 1972. At that time, he was 29 years old. And then the, the tragedy that has come to define his personal life happened. Uh, that same year, his wife and daughter Naomi were killed in an automobile accident, uh, and his sons were injured in that automobile accident as well, which obviously under all circumstances is just a horrific, horrific tragedy. Uh, Biden would later claim that the person who was involved in the accident on the other side was drunk. That turned out not to be true. They've asked for an apology. Biden has not yet granted it. Biden subsequently married Jill Biden in 1977. He became ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee in 1981. He ran for president in 1987. He flamed out amidst accusations of exaggeration and lying and plagiarism. Okay, so what did he do while he was in Congress? Well, he did an awful number of things. First of all, he was the father of Borking. So Borking is the practice that has basically destroyed our Supreme Court nomination hearings, right? That practice is where a, uh, is where a politician decides that a, a well-qualified judicial nominee cannot sit on the court because you want certain results from them and that person is unwilling to grant you the results. Biden didn't treat him as a serious judge. Instead, he suggests that he was a stooge of the Reagan-Meese agenda, writes George Neumeyer for The Hill, which is correct. Biden's treatment of Bork was so bad, the Washington Post wrote, while claiming that Judge Bork will have a full and fair hearing, Senator Biden this week has pledged to civil rights groups that he will lead the opposition to the confirmation. As the Queen of Hearts said to Alice, sentence first, verdict afterward. How can he possibly get a fair hearing from Biden, who has already cast himself as the role of prosecutor instead of juror in the Judiciary Committee? Biden suggested that uh, Bork was bad. Why? Because Bork was an originalist, and originalism was bad. 
Right? Bork said, Biden said to Bork, will we retreat from our tradition of progress or will we move forward, continuing to expand and envelop the rights of individuals in a changing world, which is bound to have an impact upon those individuals' sense of who they are and what they can do? Biden suggested that he was a, a Puritan who, who wanted to break into the bedroom. Uh, Biden was, was very happy about this. Right? And uh, apparently, he recalls testing his portrayal of Bork as an enemy of privacy at a mall in Delaware. He said, people who knew me would walk up and say, hey, Joe, and I'd ask them if they thought married couples had the right to use contraception. They'd look at me like I was crazy, of course. And when I asked why, none of them said the right to privacy. They all said the Constitution. And therefore, that's the tactic that he used on Bork. Now he brags about this, right? Being the father of, of the destruction of judicial nomination hearings is one of his uh, bragging points. Here was Joe Biden in Democratic debate just last year bragging about this. I was part of the reason why Elena Kagan, who worked for me, got on the Supreme Court. I was part of the reason why Ruth Bader Ginsburg is on the court. I was part of the reason why Sotomayor is on the court, and she swore me in. I presided, and I'm the reason why this right wasn't taken away a long time ago, because I almost single-handedly made sure that Robert Bork did not get on the court because he did not think there should be enumerated rights. Okay, I mean, that is correct. I mean, the, the man at least owns that. His, his time in the Judiciary Committee was a disaster. He also presided over the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill hearings in which he scurrilously accused without proper evidence Clarence Thomas of engaging in a pattern of sexual harassment. Later, Justice Thomas wrote that Biden told him he would begin with softball questions instead threw a beanball straight at my head. He said, Senator Biden's smooth and sincere promises he would treat me fairly were nothing but talk. Now, ironically enough, Biden has been forced to apologize to Anita Hill because he was not harsh enough with Clarence Thomas. And the New York Times later reported, that was April of this year, that uh, he had to call up Anita Hill and apologize because he said he believed her, but at the same time, he, uh, he didn't try to browbeat Thomas enough to Anita Hill's liking. So of course, this is typical Biden. He then apologized for everything that he had done to Anita Hill, which is amazing, amazing. It was, he, what he tried to do was scurrilously destroy Clarence Thomas without proper evidence. But he went and apologized to Anita Hill afterward. Okay, all of that, the, the Bork hearings at least, were lead up to his 1988 campaign. He ran for president first in 1988. So this idea that he has been promoting, that the reason he ran for president this time around in 2020, which last I checked, was three decades after he first ran for president. He says that was about Charlottesville. It wasn't. The man's wanted to be president since he was in his late 30s, early 40s, right? At the, at the very latest. He ran in 1988. It flamed out. The reason it ran out, uh, it flamed out, is because his presidential campaign was a bleep show. It turns out that he was a liar. It turns out he was an exaggerator. It turns out that he was a purveyor of myth. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that if you are in credit card debt, you need to get out of it right now. What you don't need is to rack up those additional credit card bills because once you start racking up the interest rates, you are done. You are toast. Instead, why not consolidate all those credit card bills into a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream? Rates start at 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. The rate is fixed, so it will never go up over the life of the loan. Plus, there are no fees. Get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. People love Lightstream, and there's a reason for it. Sometimes it saves your financial life. 
is a great opportunity to solve your credit card debt problem. My listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get the discount, head on over to lightstream.com slash Shapiro. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Shapiro. Subject to credit approval, rates range from 5.95% APR to 19.99% APR and include 0.50% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply. Offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Shapiro for more information. Okay, so how badly did that 1988 race go? Horribly, horribly. According to Matt Flegenheimer, writing for the New York Times last year, Biden's first run for president was a calamity. Some missteps still resonate. Joe Biden was riffing again, an RFK anecdote, a word about civil wrongs, a meandering joke about the baseball commissioner, and aides knew enough to worry a little. When I marched in the civil rights program, I did not march with a 12-point program. Biden thundered, testing his presidential message in February 1987 before a New Hampshire audience. I marched with tens of thousands of others to change attitudes, and we changed attitudes. More than once, advisors had gently reminded Biden of a problem with this formulation. He had not actually marched during the civil rights movement. More than once, Biden assured him he understood and kept telling the story anyway. By that September, his recklessness as a candidate had caught up with him. He was accused of plagiarizing in campaign speeches. He had inflated his academic record. Reporters began calling out his exaggerated youth activism. I've done some dumb things, Biden conceded at a Stop the Bleeding news conference at the Capitol. I'll do dumb things again. By the way, he was the front runner in 1987. In the first quarter of 87, he raised more money than any other Democratic candidate. He vowed that day to fight on. He quit that race within a week. Okay, one of the reasons that he quit the race is because he was accused of plagiarizing. He plagiarized his life story from Neil Kinnock, who was a British politician. And then they uncovered the fact that he had engaged uh, in hijinks, shall we say, while he was in college with regard to uh, using other people's material. He had flirted with a presidential run in 1984. And then he came back in 1988. And he uh, struggled to verbalize a campaign rationale that felt true to him. Words that felt absolutely authentic. But didn't matter. Uh, the fact is that... Um, it just, it just didn't work for him. It didn't end up working for him. In February of 1987, Biden borrowed from a Robert Kennedy speech without attribution. He later said the remarks had been written for him. In April, Biden would later recall, a camera crew caught him berating a New Hampshire man who asked about his academic history. I probably have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. Biden shot bat before exaggerating his record in school. The clip did not originally find wide circulation. Uh, typical Biden, right? So th this, this is who Joe Biden was. He was ambitious. He was always ambitious. He was an exaggerator. He was a liar. He was a typical politician, in other words. Okay, and Joe Biden has a longstanding habit of putting his foot in his mouth. The fact that now the media are declaring that Joe Biden has no problems with putting his foot in his mouth. You know, that's just the media making things up. Dude puts his foot in his mouth all the time. All the time. I mean, back in 2008, Time Magazine put together an entire list of Biden gaffes. It was like the top 10 Biden gaffes. And that is a very short list, okay? Joe Biden's gaffes go back decades. For example, here is Joe Biden suggesting that Barack Obama was the first mainstream African-American who's articulate, bright, clean, right? You remember this one? I know we're all supposed to ignore the, uh, the subtle racism here, but here is uh, Joe Biden being subtly racist. I wouldn't go anywhere in confined places now. It's not that it's going to Mexico. It's you're in a confined aircraft. When one person sneezes, it goes all the way through the aircraft. That's me. If we do everything right, we do it with absolute certainty. We stand up there and we make really tough decisions. There's still a 30% chance we're going to get it wrong. My memory is not as good as Justice Roberts. Chief Justice Roberts. Does, does anyone... It will not be six months before the world gets Barack Obama like they did John Kennedy. 
Watch, we're going to have an international crisis, a generated crisis. The of this guy. Hillary Clinton is as qualified or more qualified than I am to be Vice President of the United States of America. It might have been a better pick than me, but she's first rate. Chuck Graham, state senator's here. Chuck, stand up, Chuck. Let him see you. Chuck was a person oh, in a wheelchair. God love you. What am I talking about? You got the first sort of mainstream African American yeah. who is articulate and bright and and clean, nice-looking guy. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. But this standard is not a measure of how we can evaluate the condition of our society. It cannot measure the health of our children, the quality of our education, the joy of their play. This is how it sounded when Robert Kennedy said those words in 1968. Yet the gross national product does not allow for the health of our children, the quality of their education, or the joy of their play. Okay, so bottom line here. Joe Biden is a career-long dishonest politician. That is not a shock. He also happens to be a vicious politician, ranging from Bork to Clarence Thomas to Mitt Romney. You'll all recall when he said in 2012 that Mitt Romney was going to re-enslave black Americans. That was good times. He's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain! Wall Street. He's going to put y'all back in chains. He's going to put y'all back in chains. Yeah, that, that's, that's good old Joe Biden. Nice guy, right? Nice, nice, good, good guy. Now, speaking of uh, Joe Biden's corruption, so this has become a big issue in the campaign. So theme number one is that Joe Biden is a typical lying politician. He's been doing it for years. We'll get to his positional shifts in just a second. His corruption has been a long, a long known story. Okay, there is nothing new about this. Take, for example, August 2008, CBS News reports that MBNA paid Joe Biden's son as Biden backed a bill. Quote, a son of Democratic vice presidential candidate Joe Biden was paid an undisclosed amount of money as a consultant by MBNA, the largest employer in Delaware. That was Biden's home state. During the years, the senator supported legislation that was promoted by the credit card industry and opposed by consumer groups. Barack Obama's presidential campaign said Biden helped forge a bipartisan compromise on the issue, which is now law and makes it harder for consumers to obtain bankruptcy protection in the courts. MBNA's consulting payments to Hunter Biden, first reported by the New York Times, followed his departure in 2001 from the company, where he had been an executive. Obama opposed the bankruptcy law enacted in 2005. Biden supported it. At the time, Hunter Biden was receiving consulting payments from MBNA. He was also a Washington lobbyist at a firm he had co-founded. He was not a lobbyist for MBNA. His work had absolutely nothing to do with the bankruptcy bill. Zero. Nothing, said one of his partners. David Wade, a spokesman for, well, actually not one of his partners, David Wade, a spokesman for the Obama campaign. Consumer and civil rights groups and unions, as well as Democratic opponents, had argued that the bankruptcy legislation was unfair to low-income working people, single mothers, minorities, and the elderly, and would remove a safety net for those who have lost their jobs or face mounting medical bills. The financial services industry made the case bankruptcy frequently is a refuge for gamblers, impulsive shoppers, divorced or separated fathers, avoiding child support, multimillionaires who buy mansions in states with liberal exemptions to shelter assets from creditors. When the Senate Judiciary Committee approved the bill early in 2005, Biden, Dianne Feinstein of California, and Herb Cole of Wisconsin were the only Democrats to vote with the Republican majority. MBNA employees have poured more than $200,000 into Biden's Senate campaigns over the past two decades, making donors working for the credit card company the senator's largest source of campaign money. Good times, good times. So he, is, uh, he took a bunch of donations from MBNA. He then promoted a bill that was to their benefit. And uh, MBNA treat him real nice. They treat his son real nice. They poured a bunch of money into Hunter's pocket. This is going all the way back to 2008 when it was not considered verboten to report 
on, uh, on Joe Biden's corruption. Meanwhile, at the same time, as Michelle Malkin once reported for National Review, Joe Biden was involved in some sweetheart real estate deals with folks over at MBNA. According to Malkin, this is circa 2010, former senior senator from Delaware and current Vice President Joe Biden has a custom-built house in Delaware's ritziest Chateau Country neighborhood. It is now worth at least $2.5 million and is the Biden's most valuable asset. Biden tapped campaign funds to pay for his compound's lawn needs. He secured the new estate with the help of a corporate executive who worked for Biden's top campaign donor, credit card giant MBNA. In 1996, Biden sold his previous mansion to MBNA chair, Vice Chairman John Cochran. The asking price was $1.2 million. Cochran forked over the full sum. Biden then paid 350 grand in cash to real estate developer Keith Stoltz for a 4.2-acre lakefront lot. Stoltz had paid that same amount five years earlier for the undeveloped property. Stoltz told the Wilmington News Journal the residential real estate market was soft at the time he sold the land to Biden. Soft for whom? Stoltz didn't need to sell the property. Reporter Byron York looked at comparable properties in Biden's neighborhood and found three cases, three cases where homes went for below asking price. However, nobody actually bothered to negotiate. It appears that MBNA indirectly helped Cochran buy the Biden house through six-figure executive compensation funds listed as moving expenses and losses suffered on the sale of his previous home. Again, this is just all inside the beltway, garbage, corrupt politics. And as we all know, for a long time now, Biden's family has been cashing in on his career for decades. Ryan Grimm writing for The Intercept, which is not a right-wing source. He says, the problem for Democrats is that a review of Hunter Biden's career clearly shows that he, along with Joe Biden's brother James, has been trading on their family name for decades, cashing in on the implication and sometimes the explicit argument that giving money to a member of Joe Biden's family wins the favor of Joe Biden. Democrats have been loath to give any credibility to the wild rantings of Trump or Rudy Giuliani, leaving them to sidestep the question of Hunter Biden's ethics or decision-making and how much responsibility Joe Biden deserves. Investigative reporters and GOP operatives have dived deep into the question of whether Joe Biden ever used his official power to do favors for special interests shoveling money to his family. They found no exact proof of this. But that doesn't mean the Biden's behavior isn't a legitimate problem for Democrats. Indeed, Biden has been taking political hits over the intersection of his family's financial dealings and his own political career for some four decades. Yet he has done nothing publicly to inoculate himself from the charge. His career is corruptly enriching his family. And now that is a serious liability. Hey, in 2006, Bo Biden, who died of cancer in 2015, was roped into an investment meeting led by James and Hunter Biden at the firm Paradigm Global Advisors. The family was considering acquiring the firm. James Biden told executives he'd have no problem bringing in people looking for an in with Joe Biden, who was U.S. senator at the time. We've got people all over the world who want to invest in Joe Biden, James Biden told officials with the firm. Bo Biden told, turned red in the face. He told his uncle, this can never leave this room. If you ever say it again, I'll have nothing to do with this. Hunter and James denied the account to Politico. The magazine stood by it. We've got investors lined up in, a, in we've got investors lined up in a line of 747s filled with cash ready to invest in this company. A paradigm executive recalls James Biden saying. In 2014, a stepson of the former Secretary of State John Kerry, Chris Hines, gave Hunter a similar warning. The pair were partners in an investment firm, Rosemont Seneca, when Hunter Biden and a third partner, Devin Archer, were invited to were invited to join the board of Burisma. Hines told the Washington Post he strongly objected to Hunter Biden and Archer taking the board seats. Obama administration officials were concerned as well. In April 2014, of course, Hunter went ahead and accepted the invitation to join the board, along with a fee of at least $50,000 a month. Okay, and then when later asked about it, Hunter explicitly said, oh yeah, by the way, I mean, of course, that had to do with the Biden name. Hunter was following in the footsteps of James Biden, says Intercept. That's Joe's younger brother. It began small in 1973, one year after Joe was elected to the Senate. James Biden opened a nightclub, Seasons Change, with what Politico, referencing contemporaneous local reporting in Delaware, called unusually generous bank loans. 
when James ran into trouble, Joe, as a senator, later complained the bank shouldn't have loaned James the money. What I'd like to know, Biden said, is how the guy in charge of loans let it get this far. The paper investigated. Sources at the bank said the loan was made because James was Joe's brother. James in the 90s founded Lion Hall Group, which lobbied for Mississippi trial lawyers, lawyers involved in tobacco litigation. According to Curtis Wilkie's book, The Fall of the House of Zeus, the trial lawyers wanted James Biden's help pushing Joe Biden on tobacco legislation. That same decade, in 1996, Hunter Biden got in the game. He started working with MBNA. Biden in the 90s was known half-jokingly as the senator from MBNA, though he, didn't find it, though he didn't find it funny. He was, however, MBNA's greatest champion in the Senate, as we have discussed. And so the fact is that for a long time, members of the Biden family have been cashing in on Biden's name, and Biden has done nothing about it. As we'll see, this is starting to bear some fruit in the story of uh, Tony Bobolinsky. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you never want to visit an auto parts store. You really don't. I mean, that's just not something you're interested in doing. Why should you wait in line these days to get to the front of the line, have to answer a bunch of very specific questions you don't know the answers to, they order you a generic part online, and then you have to put it in yourself anyway. Why not just go directly online, skip the middleman, and cut the cost? This is why rockauto.com is excellent. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why spend up to twice as much on the same parts? RockAuto.com, it's a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com, they're always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? The RockAuto.com catalog, it's unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. They've got amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. It's no makes no money to spend tons of money when like why why would you do that? Makes no sense. Don't spend tons of money when you could be spending less money by using the interwebs at rockauto.com. Head on over to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Shapiro in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you. Alrighty, so all of this has now culminated in all of the talk about Joe Biden and uh, these Chinese emails. Well, the New York Post now reports on uh, on Tony Bobolinsky, Michael Goodwin reporting that Hunter's business partner has now told all with regard to Joe Biden. He says, for Tony Bobolinsky, the meetings with Joe Biden are unforgettable, not because they had anything to do with politics. It's because that's when Bobolinsky fully understood Joe was very much involved in the foreign business schemes that son Hunter and Joe's brother Jim had cooked up. The final proof came during two conversations over two days in May 2017. He first met the former VP in the lobby of the Beverly Hilton Hotel, where Joe was to speak the next day at the Milken Conference on the Moonshot Project of Finding a Cure for Cancer. Bobolinsky told Goodwin in a Tuesday interview, Hunter and Jim and I are there. Hunter gets up and talks to his father when he comes in. He then brings Joe over and introduces me, saying he's the one who's helping us with the business we're doing with the Chinese. If Joe Biden was honest with the public when he said he never discussed Hunter's business with him, the next words out of his mouth would have been, what business with the Chinese, what are you talking about? But that's not what he said, according to Bobolinsky. Joe Biden did not look surprised or curious. After a getting to know you conversation, Bobolinsky remembers Joe saying, my son and my brother trust you emphatically, so I trust you. Good luck and work hard. Joe liked him, Hunter and Jim later said, which Bobolinsky took as an official seal of approval. The next morning after the speech, Bobolinsky says he was ushered backstage to greet Joe Biden again, then walked him to his car. He recalls the former Veep's parting remark as, keep an eye on my son and my brother and look out for my family. Bobolinsky appeared with Tucker Carlson. Last night he said, look, Joe Biden is lying. He knows all about his family's businesses. Here's Bobolinsky, who is in fact a credible witness with some receipts to back it up. The former vice president has said he had no knowledge whatsoever of his son's business dealings and was not involved in them at all. But this sounds like direct involvement in them. Yeah, that's a blatant lie. When he states that, that is a blatant lie. 
Obviously, the world's aware that I attended the uh, debate last Thursday. And uh, in that debate, he made a specific statement around questions around this from the president. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I uh, almost stood up and screamed liar and walked out because I was shocked. Okay, well, you know, he's saying that the media are not reporting it, obviously, because the media must protect the pressures who is Joe Biden. But there's a long pattern, decades long pattern of people in Joe Biden's family taking advantage of Joe Biden's name. Obviously, Joe Biden had to know something about this sort of stuff. It's been dogging him his entire career. Whether he was implicitly involved or making profit from it is another question. But certainly he was looking the other way, which is deeply corrupt stuff. I mean, he's a member of government. It's not, you know, Trump doing business with his kids before he was a member of the government. That's just the family business. Okay, being in politics, the vice president of the United States or a senator and knowing that your family is jet setting around, raising money off your name and doing nothing to stop it. That is corruption. It may not be criminal, but it is definitely corruption. At one point, according to Bobulinski, he asked if the family wasn't concerned that Joe would run for president in 2020. I said, Jim, how are you guys doing this? It seems crazy. He looks at me and kind of chuckles and says, plausible deniability. So they're relying on that plausible deniability. Meanwhile, the feds have obtained a FISA warrant against Hunter Biden's Chinese business associate, according to documents. Chuck Ross, investigative reporter for The Daily Caller, says federal investigators obtained a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act warrant against one of, one of Hunter Biden's Chinese business associates, suggesting the executive was suspected of acting as a covert agent of a foreign government. Prosecutors revealed the existence of at least one FISA warrant against Chai Ping Patrick Ho, known as Patrick Ho, in a February 8, 2018 court filing obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation. Ho was charged on December 18, 2017, with conspiracy to violate the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and money laundering related to CEFC China energy contracts in Uganda and Chad. Ho had been executive at CEFC. Hunter Biden was part of a business consortium that sought a partnership with CEFC in May of 2017. A Senate report released last month said an affiliate of CEFC wired five million bucks to Biden's law firm from August 2017 through August 2018. Apparently, Hunter Biden also represented Ho during his legal battle. Ho, of course, apparently there was a FISA warrant because they thought that essentially he was a representative of the Chinese government who had not registered as such. Biden agreed to represent Ho and find out about the extent of the investigation, according to The New Yorker. The New, York, the New York Times reported in December 2018, Ho's first call following his arrest the year before was to James Biden, the brother of the former vice president. The Senate report also said a shell company affiliated with CEFC called Hudson West, the, Hudson West 3 wired a million bucks to Biden's law firm, Owasco, on March 22, 2018. The Senate Republicans who released the report, said Biden's relationship with CEFC posed counterintelligence concerns because of Yi's connections to the People's Liberation Army and the Chinese Communist Party. And the feds knew about all of this, apparently. So again, lots of corruption inside the Biden family and the chance that Biden knew nothing about it, very, 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 very low, bordering on the infinitesimal. And yet Biden maintains that. Well, Bobulinski has fully said that this is not true. Okay, but none of this even touches the real reason that Biden shouldn't be president. Okay, there are lots of corrupt members of Congress. There are lots of corrupt senators. There are lots of corrupt people who use their power in order to benefit family members. There are lots of gaffe machines out there in American politics. There are lots of people who have exaggerated and told lies on the campaign trail. Right? The real reason that Joe Biden should not be president is twofold. One, he has been wrong on every major foreign policy issue of his entire career. And two, when it comes to domestic policy, he has shifted every single position he has ever held except for a couple of core ones, namely he, he freaking hates guns, right? That is a big one, is that he's, ba he's backed anti-gun measures his entire career. And he, and he likes higher taxes. Those are pretty much the only consistent in his entire career. He blows with the wind. The lie, the greatest lie of this campaign, the greatest lie of the campaign is that Joe Biden is going to be a bulwark against radicalism. He is not. 
Joe Biden follows where the wind blows. That is his entire career. That is what he is. He is prototypical. Follow the, follow the leader politician. He has never taken a leadership position on anything of importance. He has never been in a, in a position where he is the guy who's ahead of the crowd. He is constantly putting his finger in the air and then following where that leads. Okay, and right now, the prevailing winds in the Democratic Party are to the far left. We'll get to more of this in just one second because we will prove this time in and time out. Wrong on foreign policy and has no principles on domestic policy. First, let us talk about protecting those eyeballs. So you're spending an awful lot of time in front of screens these days, right? Even if you normally work in an office where you're not working in front of screens, well, now you're probably working at home. So that means that you are working in front of screens or you're watching TV. You're on your, you're on your cell phone. Well, you know what that blue light can do? It can wreck your sleep quality. It can give you headaches. It can give you eye strain. This is why you need Felix Grays. Felix Gray blue light glasses. These are excellent, excellent blue light glasses. There are a lot of blue light glasses on the market. They're not all created equal. Many blue light glasses don't filter enough blue light, especially in the range that matters. Well, Felix Gray filters out 90% of blue light in the most damaging range and eliminates 99% of glare through a proprietary industry-leading lens technology only available with Felix Gray. You can order online. Glasses shipped directly to you with hard case and lens cloth included. You try them for 30 days risk-free. If you don't like them, ship them back. If your screens aren't easier on the eyes, send them back for a full refund. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben for the absolute best quality blue light filtering glasses on the market. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash Ben. Shipping and returns are totally free at Felix Gray. felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, we're going to get to more of Joe Biden. We're actually going to get to his policies and what his career has been like. And we're going to get to his actual full-scale agenda for beyond the election in just one second, which should scare the living hell out of you for sure. We're going to get to all of that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that this has been an insane year and that what we are watching right now, the riots in the streets in Philadelphia, at root. This is about a philosophical conflict between people who believe that the country ought to be torn down to the root and people who do not, between unionists and disintegrationists. There's a philosophy out there that believes that America is endemically evil, that America was rooted in, in racism and white supremacy. There's a philosophy that says that your basic American rights are in fact discriminatory and bad. And then there's a philosophy of American freedom. I talk about all of this in my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. I've been asked many, many times, what is the single best book, that an easy book that I can get for myself, for my kids to really understand what's going on in the country, to understand the Constitution, to understand the Declaration of Independence, to understand why these principles are important? This is that book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Go pick up a copy today. It's going to be relevant for the election and beyond, for sure. You're going to want a copy. Again, buy, buy for all of your, your, all the high school kids you know. Buy a copy. It's important stuff. How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Also, you may have noticed the presidential election is almost here. We have an amazing day of programming for you. Our live stream starts Tuesday, November 3rd, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, featuring special guests, live interviews, and more, leading up to a very special episode of Backstage, where we will be covering the results with you in real time. So we're going to be there like all night. Even better, join Daily Wire right now. Get 25% off with code ELECTION, so you can watch all of our election coverage live on our Apple TV or Roku app. Members get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of The Ben Shapiro Show, exclusive Reader's Pass content, available only to Daily Wire members. If you're considering an all-access membership, you get to join us on All Access Live every night for online and live stream discussions. You also get not one, but two Leftist Tears tumblers with your membership, as well as early, sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. So, watch the election with us at dailywire.com. Get 25% off your Daily Wire membership with code ELECTION when you sign up today. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so 
Theme number one when it comes to Joe Biden's actual policies. We have a couple of themes with Joe Biden. One is that he is a lifelong career politician, which means all the corruption, all of the gaffes, all the exaggeration, all the lying, all of that is endemic to Joe Biden's career. Then we get to his actual policies. The biggest problem for him, he's been wrong on every major foreign policy issue his entire life, like indubitably wrong. And not just according to wild-eyed right-wingers like me, right? Not just according to hawkish people like me. Obama's defense secretary, Robert Gates, famously said that Joe Biden has been wrong on every single foreign policy issue ever, <laughs> okay? Here is, uh, here is Robert Gates explaining just that. You said in your memoir, Joe Biden is impossible not to like. Quote, he's a man of integrity, incapable of hiding what he really thinks, and one of those rare people you know you could turn to for help in a personal crisis. Still, I think he's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. Would he be an effective commander in chief? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I stand by that statement. <laughs> so that is a harsh burn from the former defense secretary for Barack Obama, right? He served in the same administration as Joe Biden. He's like, yeah, he's been wrong on pretty much everything. And uh, that happens to be accurate. He, he has been wrong on pretty much everything. So our story begins with the Gulf War of 1991. Joe Biden voted against it. That was one of the most successfully prosecuted wars in American history. Joe Biden was against it. Fast forward a decade. Now, Joe Biden is very much in support of the war in Iraq, right? He specifically says, he says, there's a lot of us who voted for giving the president the authority to take Saddam Hussein down if he didn't disarm. There are those who believe at the end of the day, even though it wasn't handled all that well, we still have to take him down. Right? He says, we have one single focus. That is, we're about to send our women and men to war. The president is the commander in chief. We voted to give him the authority to wage that war. We should step back and be supportive. Okay, I don't think he's actually wrong about that. The problem is he then flip-flopped on all of it. Right, so in 2003, Biden then said that Colin Powell made a compelling case for war. Right, he said... He was asked, did Secretary of State Powell today close the deal in your mind to those who have an open mind about Iraq? And Biden said, absolutely. He made a compelling case. The predominance of the evidence, the pure weight of the evidence, I think anyone, let me put it this way. If I were back practicing law, I can't imagine I could not convince an open-minded jury of the facts that he presented as having been true. Okay, this is, again, revisionist, the revisionist history of the Democrats is that they were all anti-war. They, they were not. They were all pro-war at a time when George W. Bush was pro-war. There's no one who believed that Bush lied in order to get us into war. Now, of course, that is the entire Democratic Party line and many in the Republican Party line. Okay, by 2005, Biden had flipped, just like the rest of the Democratic Party. And suddenly, the war was real bad. Suddenly, Biden was saying that the Iraq war was a mistake as of 2005. Right? He said in 2005, quote, it was a mistake. It was a mistake to assume the president would use the authority we gave him properly. I brought along that whole quote. I knew you'd ask me this. I said, we know he continues to attempt to gain access to additional capability, including nuclear capability. There's a real debate on how far off it is, whether it's a matter of years or it's a matter of less than that. We don't know enough now. That was the rest of my quote. I never argued there was an imminent threat. I gave the president the authority to unite the world, to isolate Saddam. We went too soon. We went without sufficient force. We went without a plan. Okay, I just read you his quotes back to back. No, he was not resistant to the war in 2003. He was very much pro the war in 2003. By 2005, like the rest of the Democratic Party, he had flipped. Okay, and then fast forward to 2019, and now Biden is just openly lying about this stuff, right? You fast forwarded 15 years, and I was just lying. He says, you know, the, the moment that the bombs started dropping, I was against the Iraq war. Okay, that's just bull crap. It's not true. It's clearly not true. Here is Joe Biden. I did make a bad judgment trusting the president saying he was only doing this to get inspectors in and get the UN to agree to put inspectors in. From the moment shock and awe started, from that moment, I was opposed to the effort and I was outspoken as much as anyone at all in the Congress and administration. 
Nope. 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 No, nope. 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 Not true. False. Okay, then, in 2006, Joe Biden opposed the Iraq war surge. You'll remember, this is the only thing that brought the situation in Iraq under control during the insurgency. Because again, Joe Biden has never been right about a single foreign policy issue. So uh, he opposed the Iraq war surge. He said, I totally oppose the surging of additional American troops into Baghdad. It's contrary to the overwhelming body of informed opinion, both inside and outside the administration, which is code for, I don't like it, but I have no good excuse, so I will cite informed opinion. Okay, then in 2010, when Barack Obama precipitously pulled troops out of Iraq, you'll recall, leading to the rise of ISIS, Joe Biden declared it a major victory. He said Iraq would be a great Obama achievement. The rise of ISIS began immediately with the withdrawal of troops from Iraq under the Obama-Biden administration. Here is Biden being wrong again about Iraq. So he's wrong every way you could be wrong about Iraq. He's been wrong. From every single angle you could be wrong about it, he's been wrong. I am very optimistic about uh, about Iraq. I think it's going to be one of the great achievements of this administration. You're going to see 90,000 American troops come marching home by the uh, end of the summer. You're going to see a stable government in Iraq that is actually moving toward a representative government. Eh, yeah, wrongo, wrongo. It wasn't just Iraq. On Afghanistan, Biden opposed Obama's Afghanistan surge, which was done halfway, of course. He said that uh, rather than focus on nation building and population protection, instead, you should do more to disrupt the Taliban, improve the quality of training of Afghan forces, and expand reconciliation efforts to peel off some Taliban fighters. Okay, this is what drove Robert Gates to suggest that Biden was wrong about every single thing. David Petraeus also opposed Joe Biden on this. Then in 2011, Biden says he opposed the bin Laden raid, right? He now admits that he opposed the bin Laden raid and that it was, uh, that it was Barack Obama who, who uh, by the way, that would make Biden like the only human being in planet Earth's history who has opposed a raid to kill bin Laden. Like to me, that is the most obvious, it's the most obvious call in the history of American foreign policy and Joe Biden opposed it. I said, we owe the man a direct answer. Mr. President, my suggestion is don't go. We have to do two more things to see if he's there. Okay, so he didn't want him to do it. Okay, but it's not just Afghanistan, it's Libya. So after the Libyan invasion, Biden then suggested that it was great. It was much better than Iraq. He says, NATO got it right. In this case, America spent $2 billion and didn't lose a single life. This is more the prescription for how to deal with the world as we go forward than it has been in the past. He was very much in favor of the NATO war in Libya, which of course ended with the complete destruction of any sort of control in Libya, which culminated in the murder of an American ambassador and three other Americans in Benghazi. In 2012, Joe Biden mocked the idea of Russia as an adversary. Right? This is in the middle of the 2012 election when the, uh, when the Romney campaign was asked, Romney was asked during a debate, who is America's greatest geopolitical threat? And Romney said Russia. I know we've all memory, memory hold this time when it was the uh, Democrats were very, very pro-Russia. But uh, here's what Joe Biden said at the time. Governor Romney's answer, I thought, was incredibly revealing. He acts like he thinks the Cold War is still on. Russia is still our major adversary. I don't know where he's been. I mean, we have disagreements with Russia, but they're united with us on Iran. The only way we're getting one of two, the only way we're getting one of only two ways we're getting material into Afghanistan is through Russia. They're working closely with us. They've just said to Europe, if there's an oil shutdown in any way in the Gulf, they'll reconsidering They'll, recon they'll consider increasing oil supplies to Europe. This isn't 1956. Okay, this is in the midst of Joe Biden and Barack Obama handing control of Syria over to the Russians, allowing the Russians in the short months thereafter to invade Crimea. Okay, so wrong on Russia. Okay, then wrong on Iran as well, as we'll see. Okay, so the, the foreign policy wrongnesses for Joe Biden, they just never stop. He was wrong on Iraq every which way you could be wrong. First, he was for the war. Then he says he was against the war when he wasn't really against the war. Then later he says that he was against the war from the beginning, basically, which is not true. 
Then he opposed the Iraq war surge, and then he was in favor of precipitously pulling out the troops. In Afghanistan, he opposed the Obama-Afghanistan surge, and then he opposed the bin Laden raid. In Libya, he says that we did the right thing in Libya. He said that Russia was not our adversary. They were our friend in 2012. Now, of course, Russia is the great bugaboo living under your bed who is perverting every election on behalf of Donald Trump. But I'm old enough to remember when Joe Biden and Barack Obama were offering flexibility to the Russians while presenting Crimea and Syria to the Russians on a platter. Joe Biden has been wrong on Iran. In 2015, Joe Biden was one of the chief cheerleaders for the garbage Iran deal that gave Iran a path to a nuclear bomb, as well as a bevy of cash in return for literally nothing. Literally nothing. Just Iran saying, oh, we won't develop anything for a few years. Here is Joe Biden pushing the Iran deal, which turns out to be a pile of garbage. I've come to the conclusion that in the context I've just cited, that this is a good deal. This is a good deal for the first and foremost for the United States. It's a good deal for the world, the region, and it's a good deal for Israel and uh, the uh, Gulf cooperation states. It was not even close to a good deal. And as soon as America pulled out of the Iran deal, in fact, Iran's economy started to implode and an alliance in the Middle East arose against Iran directly as a result of the Obama-Biden willingness to cater to Iran. So he's wrong on Iran. Not only is he wrong on Iran, just this year, you'll remember that Joe Biden took the bizarre step of opposing the killing of Qasem Soleimani. Qasem Soleimani was, of course, the head of the terror arm of the Iranian government. He said no American will mourn Qasem Soleimani's passing. Trump killed him, right? He deserved to be brought to justice for his crimes against American troops. He supported terror and sowed chaos. None of this negates the fact this is a hugely escalatory move in an already dangerous region. The administration's statement says its goal is to deter future attacks by Iran. This action will almost certainly have the opposite effect. President Trump just tossed a stick of dynamite into a tinderbox. He owes the American people an explanation of the strategy and plan to keep safe our troops and embassy. Blah, 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 blah. Iran will surely respond. We could be on the brink of a major conflict across the Middle East. Were we on the brink of a major conflict across the Middle East? No, of course, because Joe Biden said it, which means he was wrong. Because he's been wrong on everything. Joe Biden's never been right on a thing. On China, Joe Biden said last year that China is not competition for the United States, and it's foolhardy to claim that China is competition to us, even at the same time that they are promoting intellectual property theft and all sorts of other goodies. Here was Joe Biden circa 2019 saying China is not competition for the United States. China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the, 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 the fact that they have this great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the east, I mean, in the west. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within the system. I mean, I, you know, they're not bad folks, folks, but guess what? They're not a they're, they're not, they're competition for us. They're not competition for us, guys. China's not competition for us. Okay, so he's wrong about that one, too. And also, he's just wrong about Israel. So in 2020... After the, after the Trump administration correctly and morally finally fulfilled the congressional promise to move the U.S. embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, Biden then says that while he's not going to move the embassy back, he would never have moved the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. Okay, this is all part and parcel of the bullcrap democratic argument and the foreign policy establishment argument that by treating Israel honestly and decently, as opposed to on an even par with terrorists like the Palestinian Authority and Islamic Jihad, that you have increased the, the measure of risk in the region, all of that was untrue. Here is Joe Biden being wrong about moving the embassy to Jerusalem. This is an administration that, as you know, uh, advocated uh, moving uh, the capital of Israel to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. If you are elected president, would you reverse that? Not now I wouldn't reverse it. I wouldn't have done it in the first place. He wouldn't have done it in the first place, guys. What, what, what a genius. Not, not, 
Nothing. He did. Amazing. Amazing. Because he's been wrong on that too. Because it turns out moving the embassy to Jerusalem not only did not result in higher risk in the region, after that happened, after the recognition of the Golan Heights, after the recognition that the settlements are not prima facie illegal, there were peace deals between Israel and half the Arab countries in the Middle East. Okay, so he's been wrong on that too. So Joe Biden's history on foreign policy is wrongness from beginning to end. Soup to nuts. He's been wrong on every foreign policy issue of his entire life. And like, you want to make that guy president? Okay, now we get to his domestic policy. So the theme of, of Joe Biden's domestic policy is he says whatever will move him forward at any point in time. There are only a couple of issues where he's been consistent. They are few and far between. He has shifted on virtually every major issue of his career. The most obvious is on crime and drugs. So in 1982, according to The Intercept, Biden actually told Ronald Reagan that he wanted to ramp up drug enforcement. According to The Intercept, in September 1982, Biden gave a nationally broadcast Democratic response to the president's weekly radio address. He accused Reagan of, quote, unnecessary budget cuts to crime funding. Violent crime is as real a threat to our national security as any foreign threat, he said. We'll have a military budget of $253 billion in 1983, and yet in, 18, in, in 1983, we'll spend less than $3 billion a year to fight crime. He then called on the federal government to support state and local police agencies by training their people and giving them more money. Now, that sounds, that's like music to the ears for people on the right like me. And this was his theme, right? He was in favor of the war on drugs. He was in favor of, of higher levels of anti-crime enforcement. Here was Joe Biden in 1982 supporting the war on drugs. I think the president has to join us in making a significantly greater commitment to these six areas to stem the rising tide of violence in America. And that's what it is, violence. First, we have to join together to ensure that drug dealers are punished swiftly, surely, and severely. And in line with what the president is calling for, we have to hold every drug user accountable. Because if there were no, uh, no drug users, there would be no appetite for drugs and there'd be no market for them. Okay, that was actually in 1989. Then in 1993, Biden famously supported the crime bill that poured all sorts of federal resources into ensuring that people got locked up for their crimes. Again, this is all stuff that as a conservative, I'm like, okay, all right. But here's the thing about Joe Biden. Whatever position he takes today will not be the position that he takes tomorrow. This guy is no bulwark against the radical left. Nothing like that. He is wherever he thinks the crowd is. And if the crowd is on his left, that is where he will run. If he thinks that he requires the radical left in order to win election, that is where he will run. He didn't require them to beat Bernie Sanders because there are still more moderates than radicals in the Democratic Party. But he needs the coalition of moderates and radicals in the Democratic Party in order to defeat the Republicans. So he ain't going to be a bulwark for moderation. Okay, here is Joe Biden circa 1993 talking up the crime bill. The underlying bill, which is now the Biden-Hatch bill, was the Biden bill. A guy named Biden wrote that bill, and he wrote that bill by going down and sitting down with the President of the United States of America. You must take back the streets. And you take back the streets by more cops, more prisons, more physical protection for the people. Okay, so that's where he was, right? That, that was his entire perspective. And then in 2010, Biden reiterated that he was in favor of criminalization of marijuana. He said, I still believe it's a gateway drug. I spent a lot of my life as chairman of the Judiciary Committee dealing with this. It would be a mistake to legalize. He said, I think legalization is a mistake. As late as 2016, Biden was still defending his 1994 crime bill. So here is Biden in 2016 defending the crime bill. Another thing about how uh, perspectives change over time. Bobby Rush, member of Congress, said the other day, I'm ashamed that I voted for the 94 crime bill. You ashamed of that bill? Not at all. Um, and in fact, I drafted the bill, as you remember. I know that. Okay, but then in 2019, so this is a beautiful thing about Biden. The man's constantly evolving. He's constantly evolving, you see. 
he can trust that whatever positions he says he holds that are moderate, they'll be gone within a couple of years. In 2019, Biden overtly apologized for the crime bill. And in 2019, he had this to say. He said, I haven't always been right. I know we haven't always gotten things right, but I've always tried. It was a big mistake when it was made. We thought we were told by experts that crack, you never go back, and the two are somehow fundamentally different. It's not different. It's trapped an entire generation. Okay, in 2019, Biden flipped on the death penalty. Uh, amazing. As his party moved left, he randomly shifted to the left. I mean, who could have? But I thought he was a politician of principle who will provide a dam and a bulwark against the radicalism of his own party. Uh, no, no, you're telling me that this guy is a corrupt old bureaucrat who is simply going to follow the prevailing winds in his party? No, no. Here is Joe Biden suddenly flipping on the death penalty, which he'd been in favor of his entire career. We should make sure that if, in fact, someone is put on trial for a crime that could end up with a major sentence or life imprisonment because it was a capital offense. I'm, by the way, congratulations to all ending the death penalty. Okay, then in 2020, he suddenly came out against the, uh, the enforcement of criminal penalties against marijuana. And he says, nobody should be in jail for smoking marijuana. Asked by CNN if the former vice president supports legalizing marijuana, Andrew Bates, a Biden campaign spokesman, said Biden believes the drug should be decriminalized. Oh, well, isn't that a switch in position? Well, I mean, weird, weird. Okay, so that's all on crime, right? He's shifted his position from tough on crime to loose on crime. And he's done all of it because that's where his party has moved. He will do whatever is convenient to the moment. The most obvious example isn't even on crime, where he took his signal accomplishment in the United States Senate on crime, his signal bipartisan accomplishment, and just chucked it directly out the window as soon as it became inconvenient. On abortion, he's had his own evolution. In 1973, Biden actually supported getting rid of Roe versus Wade. In 1974, Biden said of Roe versus Wade that it quote unquote went too far. He didn't quote think a woman has the sole right to say what should happen to her body. Okay, even as late as 2019, Biden was reiterating his support for the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment bans federal funding for abortions. So Joe Biden said in a statement to ABC News, quote, his campaign said, he has not at this point changed his position on the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment does not prevent organizations in the U.S. that provide life-saving health care services for women from receiving the federal funding they need. But given the current draconian attempts to limit access to abortion, if avenues for women to access their protected rights under Roe versus Wade are closed, he would be open to repeal. The next year, Joe Biden came out and then openly denounced the Hyde Amendment. Right, amazing. So it's just incredible. He, he denounced the Hyde Amendment as of June 2019. As recently as a couple of days before, he had said he supported the Hyde Amendment, and then he just turned it around, and now the Hyde Amendment's bad. I can't justify leaving millions of women without access to the care they need and the ability to, con to exercise their constitutionally protected right. If I believe health care is a right as I do, I can no longer support an amendment that makes that right dependent on someone's zip code. Oh, wow, look at that. He just flipped. Who, who could have predicted such a thing? And then there was Joe Biden, same year, saying that he would codify Roe in law. So he moved from 1974, Roe is a bad decision, to 2020, Roe needs to be codified in federal law. I mean, it's almost as though the man has no principles. Almost. Here he is. Considering the new Supreme Court nomination of Amy um, Coney Barrett, what are your particular plans to protect women's reproductive rights in the U.S.? Number one, we don't know exactly what she will do, although the expectation is that she may very well move to overview, overrule Roe. And but the only thing, the only responsible response to that would be to pass legislation making Roe the law of the land. That's what I would do. OK, so there is an abortion moving from somewhat pro-life to completely insanely all the way pro-abortion. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. OK, then on guns, there are only a couple areas where, where he's been consistent. Guns is one of them. 
So Joe Biden has been saying for years that he uh, that he is pro-gun. He is not, in fact, pro-gun. All the way back in 1993, he supported an assault weapons ban. That is not a shock. He has continued to maintain support for an assault weapons ban. And then he says occasionally idiotic things like, I own a couple of shotguns, and if ever somebody's at your door bothering you, you should fire a shotgun through the door, which is literally the stupidest, most criminal thing that you can do. Uh, also, he says that cops should shoot to wound. So he knows less about guns than he knows about anything else, which is saying an awful lot. So he's been consistent on guns. I'll give him credit for that. He's been anti-guns pretty much his entire career. On civil liberties, he's not really spoken out about uh, the Patriot Act other than to say repeatedly that he was one of the original creators of the Patriot Act. He actually says that most of the provisions of the Patriot Act created in 2001, that most of those provisions were actually first brought about by Joe Biden in 1994. Here was Joe Biden saying that he supported the Patriot Act during his uh, 2008 failed presidential run. Senator Biden, go ahead and respond because you yeah. voted for the Patriot Act. You know, let's, uh, facts are a, a funny thing. They get in the way. You know what I mean? There is nothing in the Patriot Act that allows profiling. Let's get that straight. Nothing in the Patriot Act allows profiling. Okay, so that was him backing the Patriot Act. So we'll see where he is on um, surveillance when, if and when he becomes president. Okay, on immigration. This is a guy who went from being somewhat in favor of having a border to completely not in favor of having a border. In 2006, Joe Biden supported the Secure Fence Act, which was designed, of course, to build fencing along, wait for it, wait for it, the southern border. I voted for a fence. I voted, like, unlike most Democrats, some of you won't like it. I voted for 700-mile fence. But let me tell you, we can build a fence 40 stories high unless it changed the dynamic in Mexico and and you will not like this, and punish American employers who knowingly violate the law when, in fact, they hire illegals. Okay, so he sort of sounds like a Republican there, right? I mean, he wanted to build 700 miles of fence, and we have to punish employers who hire illegal immigrants. By 2020, Biden was saying that he would make DACA permanent on the very first day. The very first day. He said this during the debate the other night. He said, as president, I will immediately work to make it permanent by sending a bill to Congress on day one of my administration. Right, so now he's totally in favor of open borders, pretty much. So shift, again, Joe Biden has no principles, none. Okay, gay marriage is supposed to be the issue where he shifted the most. Right? He, the gay marriage is the one where, where Joe Biden was the real leader. He was in the vanguard. Okay, what really happened is the Obama administration decided circa 2012 it was going to shift on this particular issue. They sent out Joe Biden to issue a trial balloon. Do you really think that Joe Biden was sitting in the background thinking, you know what, I'm going to leap out front here. Joe Biden has never been out front on an issue in his entire life without the backing of his party, without believing that the momentum was behind him. In 1993, Joe Biden voted for a bill deeming homosexuality incompatible with military life. That was the don't ask, don't tell bill. In 1996, Joe Biden voted for the Defense of Marriage Act. Right, which was designed to enshrine traditional marriage. In 2012, of course, he shifted, and he said that he was now pushing same-sex marriage, and he just didn't understand why anybody would oppose same-sex marriage. Because, of course, he was basically thrown out there by the Obama administration as a trial balloon in the middle of the campaign. You're comfortable with same-sex marriage now? I, I Look, I am Vice President of the United States of America. Um, the president sets the policy. I am absolutely comfortable with the fact that Men marrying men, women marrying women, and heterosexual men and women marrying women are entitled to the same exact rights, all the civil rights, all the civil liberties. And quite frankly, I don't see much of a distinction uh, beyond that. Massive trial balloon, right? And he, they throw that out there, and then he becomes obviously the great and good leader on same-sex marriage. Sure. Or, alternatively, the guy is shifted on every position, and he follows the prevailing political wind. Okay, on civil rights, 
In the 1970s, Joe Biden opposed mandatory busing, of course. In 1974, freshman Senator Joe Biden found himself under siege from white suburbanites at a meeting just south of Wilmington at Delaware, this according to Politico. The possibility their children would be bused into black schools in the city and black children would be bused to their schools had sent a wave of consternation through the white community. For two hours, Biden paced the auditorium stage and absorbed the ire of the 250-member audience. Unable to offer them any assurance on the court ruling, he made a promise to oppose busing when he returned to Washington for the next legislative session, and he did. This, of course, became the basis for the famous Kamala Harris suggestion that he would have prevented a little girl like her from attending an integrated public school. Okay, so obviously he has tried to disown all of that. And then, of course, in 1996, Joe Biden voted for welfare reform. Now he won't even answer where he is on welfare reform, but this is Joe Biden circa 96. If we really want welfare reform and not a political issue, we must do it in a bipartisan way and each of us compromise and do it in a form the president can sign. This amendment fits that bill. It's the only bipartisan welfare reform bill to be introduced in Congress. It's a bill the president said he would sign, and it's a bill that's gotten wide editorial endorsement and a bill that makes compromises by definition of it being bipartisan on both sides. Now his campaign refuses to answer where he is on welfare reform. Because, of course, to answer that question means that he might actually be held accountable for uh, his own policies. According to NBC News, nearly 25 years after Biden voted for it in the Senate, his campaign declined to say directly whether he stands by his vote. So, yeah, there's a shocker. There's a shocker. Okay, so why does this matter? Because when you look at the actual radical agenda that is on Joe Biden's website, when you actually look at what Joe Biden would like to do for the country, it is all radicalism. He made an agreement with Bernie Sanders. Bernie is out there bragging that Biden is going to be the most progressive president since FDR because he allowed Bernie to fill in a lot of the policy details on his campaign website. Now, there are a lot of people out there saying, well, Joe Biden, he's a typical politician, so he's not going to do all that. Okay, but what if the pressure is coming from his left, which it absolutely is? Joe Biden may think that he's going to be able to find some sort of common ground middle with the Republican Party. But what happens when his own party rebels against that and he is forced into a coalition with the most extreme elements of his base? The fact that Joe Biden has no principles is the reason you should fear that he is not going to be a bulwark against the radicals in his own party. Bill Clinton had no principles either. And so when his political fortunes started to shift beneath him, he started to cut deals with Republicans. Do you think that Joe Biden is going to do that? Do you think he has the ability to do that? He doesn't have enough Democrats in his own party who are willing to cut deals with Republicans in order to do that. He's going to continue shifting the way that he shifted under Barack Obama to the radical left. So here is what is in Joe Biden's radical agenda. Here's what's in Joe Biden's radical agenda. Let's take a look. Okay, so his tax plan. According to the Tax Foundation, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden would enact a number of policies that would raise taxes on individuals with income above 400 grand, including raising individual income capital gains and payroll taxes. Biden would also raise taxes on corporations by raising the corporate income tax rate and imposing a corporate minimum book tax. Biden's plan would raise tax revenue by $3.3 trillion over the next decade. The only one problem is we'll see when it gets to spending, he's going to spend way more than that. According to the Tax Foundation's general equilibrium model, the Biden tax plan would reduce GDP by 1.62% over the long term. On a conventional basis, the Biden tax plan by 2030 would lead to about 7.7% less after-tax income for the top 1%, about a 1.9% decline in after-tax income for all taxpayers on average. It will lead to a loss of over half a million jobs in the United States, according to the Tax Foundation. That is his tax plan, his massive, uh, incredible tax plan. How about his agenda, how much it's going to cost. So he's supposed to raise $3 trillion with this tax plan. There's only one problem. The Manhattan Institute's Brian Rydell, a former budget staffer, used third-party cost estimates of Biden's proposal to show that they cost more than $11 trillion over 10 years. So he's supposed to raise taxes by $3.3 trillion over the next 10 years and raise spending by at least $11 trillion over the next 10 years. 
removing the $3 trillion cost of the House Democrats Heroes Act, which is the new COVID relief program that they are pushing, they still would have to increase federal spending by more than $8 trillion over the next decade. That will always be an underestimate. There is never a time where they've estimated government spending that it has come in low. Analysts from the Penn Wharton budget model, a project associated with the Wharton School, estimate that, it would, that even at the lower end, it would cost $5.4 trillion over the next decade. This means that Biden's plans would make federal spending roughly 24% of gross domestic product by 2030. He has pushed for a public option, which would dramatically undermine your private health insurance plan by essentially having a subsidized public taxpayer-funded system that forces people into the public system. That's what happens through a public option. Everyone understands that's first step toward getting rid of private insurance. Joe Biden on education. He's going to pour money into the labor unions, and he's going to go out and he's going to wreck charter schools. His position on charter schools is absolutely clear. According to the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force recommendations, charter schools should basically be done. Democrats believe education is a public good and should not be saddled with a private profit motive, which is why we will ban for-profit private charter businesses from receiving any federal funding. Also, they oppose private school vouchers and other policies that divert taxpayer-funded resources away from the public school systems. You're going to see more money poured into the labor unions and our crappy public schools. No more charter schools, federally funded. And we are going to remove the possibility of school vouchers. Joe Biden is extraordinarily radical when it comes to labor. He has been pandering to unions, public sector unions particularly, for a very, very long time. According to Steve Deli, an opinion contributor for The Hill, his plan includes abolishing right-to-work laws. Right? These are laws that state that you do not have to be a union member in order to work in the public sector. Biden's plan would return to the days where union members or not. Employees would be forced to pay at least some portion of their union dues or be terminated. Tens of millions of workers would lose freedom from such a policy. Currently, no federal law addresses collective bargaining for state and local government employees. The issue is left to each state. Biden would eliminate that by making collective bargaining mandatory for all state and local government employees. They would eliminate the secret ballot. Instead, they would have card check. Card check forces employees to vote for a union by signing an authorization card, which means that you can be bullied into joining a union by the union higher-ups. They would destroy the gig economy. Biden supports the nationwide adoption of the ABC test for independent contractors, making it nearly impossible for workers to be classified as independent contractors. So it would kill Uber, it would kill Lyft, it would, pervert, it would, it would kill the gig economy. And of course, he wants to radically increase the minimum wage. On guns, Biden says that he's going to put Beto O'Rourke in charge of guns. Right? He, he literally said that. He said, I want to make something clear. I'm going to guarantee you this is not the last you've seen of Beto. You're going to take care of the gun problem with me. You're going to be the one who leads this effort. So Joe Biden is going to get radical on guns, obviously. He said, weapons of war have no place in our communities. We need to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Of course, assault weapons is an ill-defined, nondescript term, meaning whatever Democrats want it to be. Biden is also going to target religious freedom. His own website suggests that religious freedom is uh, to be subsumed beneath the rubric of LGBTQ rights. According to the Biden website plan, religious freedom is a fundamental American value. But states have inappropriately used broad exemptions to allow businesses, medical providers, social service agencies, state and local government officials, and others to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people. So there should be no exemptions for religious people, basically. If you're, if you're a religious person who operates a business, all exemptions go away. You are now forced to do the bidding of the state on LGBTQ issues. So I hope you've enjoyed your freedom of religion. It, it is going to be wildly quashed under a Biden administration. And again, it will all get more radical. And of course, Biden is pushing a pathway to citizenship for 11 million illegal immigrants, which I think will be his very, very first step. Here is Joe Biden in the last debate with President Trump. 
I've made it very clear. Within 100 days, I'm going to send to the United States Congress a pathway to citizenship for over 11 million undocumented people. And all of those so-called dreamers, those DACA kids, they're going to be immediately certified again to be able to stay in this country and put on a path to citizenship. Okay, this is putting aside all of the various other institutional heresies that Biden is going to preside over. Will he pack the court? We don't know. Is he going to stand in favor of getting rid of the Senate filibuster? Maybe. Is he in favor of adding states to the union? Who knows? Okay, Joe, Joe Biden will go wherever the party leads. That is his record. Joe Biden is not the leader. He is the follower. When he says things like, this is the Joe Biden party, <laughs> sure, sure it is. Okay, so there you have it. Soup to nuts. That is the Joe Biden story. If that does not give you pause about voting for Joe Biden, then go ahead and vote for him. But just, re- just recognize that if you are talking about Joe Biden Voting against Donald Trump, you're talking about voting for that guy that I just described. Wrong on every foreign policy issue of his entire career. A a serial exaggerator, a career liar, uh, a plagiarist, a low-level corrupt dude. Maybe he's a nice guy. Seems like a nice guy. That's pretty much the only quality uh, that uh, that seems presidential in him is that he is a nice guy. So if that's enough for you to make this this guy president, this nice guy president who immediately will start implementing the most radical agenda of the Democrats from the Green New Deal and regulatory expansions, to the the prosecution of people on campus who are accused of sexual assault without any right to due process. If you're in, if you're in favor of all that, by all means, Joe Biden is your guy. If not, think twice. Okay. Well, today to conclude our extraordinarily long show, uh, I, I had the opportunity to sit down with our friends over at Birch Gold. Once in a while, we sit down with our friends over at Birch Gold and give you a financial projection on what's going to happen over the coming months. I had a conversation with one of their precious metal specialists. Here's what that sounded like. Well, joining us on the line is Philip Patrick, precious metal specialist for Birch Gold Group. As you know, I've been a big fan of Birch Gold for a long time. They've been longtime sponsors of the Ben Shapiro Show. Wanted to talk to Philip about what exactly is uh, going to happen next, given the state of our really extraordinary politics. Philip, thanks so much for joining the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start with the election? The election uh, is uh, to happen shortly. What effect do you think the election is going to have on stocks as well as the overall economy? I mean, as always, I think a fairly dramatic effect. Obviously, it depends on the outcome of the election. Uh, if the polls are correct, which obviously we've grown to, to, to doubt in recent years, uh, they're suggesting a Biden win. Uh, if that happens, I think it has a dramatic effect on the market. Uh, what we can count on, as we understand, taxes going up, uh, $3 trillion predicted uh, in excess taxes over the next 10 years. Um, the concern is raises in capital gains taxes could lead investors to flee the markets in anticipation. Goldman Sachs recently came out and said a Biden win could result in a 12 percent cut in uh, corporate profits in the S&P, largely on the back of of, of these tax raises. At the end of the day, I think we know what it amounts to, and that is larger government, more spending, and ultimately a move away from a laissez-faire and, and free market economy. It doesn't bode well. So, Philip, if, if Trump is reelected, if he bucks the polls and he is reelected, what about then? Would the outlook be better for stocks? Look, I think, does it put us on a better trajectory? Uh, It certainly feels that way. Um, The one thing we can say is, uh, as good as he is in some respects, what he is not is a magician. 
right? What he cannot do is make debt disappear or, or change the cyclical nature of the markets. The markets have been cyclical since inception, regardless of president, good or bad, Republican or Democrat. The point being, we've got tough times to go through no matter who gets into office, but certainly I think it would be a better trajectory. So we've blown out the spending since COVID. I mean, to the tune of trillions and trillions of dollars. Obviously, we can expect that that's going to have some impact on the uh, on the efficacy of the dollar going forward. Either taxes are going to have to radically rise or we're going to have to start inflating the currency at some point in the future. What does that mean for precious metals investment? Look, at the end of the day, it's climates like that that you speak of, currency devaluation, inflation. These things act as drivers for precious metals. So as bad as these things are for the nation, for us, for gold and silver, they're they're quite good at the end of the day. It's a very conducive climate for them. Well, on the other hand, uh, obviously stocks to this massive drop in late February, early March. Uh, is this enormous plunge. And now they've recovered to record highs. I mean, the stock market has has done well ever since then. It has climbed back. Obviously, people are, are optimistic. Uh, why shouldn't people be too optimistic going forward about the market? Look, for me, it was the nature of the rebound that was so concerning, right? You know, as you point out, we had a, a Dow at all-time highs in January. Come March, we saw essentially a 40% slide. You know, what happened to turn it around? Did GDP increase? Did unemployment drop significantly? No, it was driven by the Fed. The Fed stepped in $6 trillion of stimulus. Our debt at the start of the year, $22 trillion. It had taken a long time to amass it. Today, we're approaching $27 trillion. It looks to be a stimulus-driven rebound. And the craziest thing of all is what you mentioned, people applauding the concept. Look at that, the strength of the market. It's concerning and and more of the same. So when we look at precious metals going into 2021, what is the outlook for precious metals in 2021? Obviously, it's been a wild year financially. Yes, indeed. And just in general, quite frankly, uh, look, it, it certainly bodes well. And it ties into, to, again, what, what you mentioned previously, we're moving into a climate that looks very conducive, right? If we were to ask U.S. citizens, what are the major issues facing the economy today? I think most people would mention bubbles in the market, debt, inflation, currency devaluation. As we mentioned a moment ago, these things are all drivers for gold and silver. So the climate looks conducive. On top of that, I think options today are are more limited than they've been in the past. The stock market looks to have problems. Interest rates are so low, creating issues for bonds or cash. Limited options, I think, further support the precious metals market. And in reference to that, look at Bank of America's prediction. They came out a couple of months ago. They feel by 2021, gold will be at 3,000 an ounce. So it seems to speak to what we're talking about. So if somebody does want to diversify at least a little bit and move some of their money into precious metals, what would be the best way for, for them to go about doing that with Birch Gold? First thing to do is give us a call. Uh, It's what we do. Uh, We can help uh, our customers roll over. If you have a retirement account, you want to put a portion of that into precious metals. We have a structure in place that allows you to roll over any portion and place physical, tangible metals tax deferred within a retirement account. We can also assist with cash purchases as well. But I think the first step for your listeners, give us a call, get our information. Should it make sense, we're here to facilitate. Obviously, volatile times breed uncertainty, and uncertainty is a good time to diversify. Make sure that you are not 
too much in one area or another with your finances, make sure that you are invested at least a little bit into precious metals the way I am with my friends over at Birch Gold. All right, Philip, so I know that you are not uh, in the predictions business more than in, in general terms, um, but you know, you've already said that you think that precious metals are going to be a good bet for the uh, for the near future. Uh, where do you think the country is politically next year? I'm going to ask you to ju- jump into my business here. <laughs> oh, it's so hard to predict. I Look, I, I followed the polls. I was thinking Biden's going to win until I went to my dry cleaner the other day. I, I live in Los Angeles, and the guy sort of leaned in. I've been a lifelong Democrat. And he leaned in and goes, but I'm voting for Trump. I think there's a lot more of that than we know. So it's tough to call. I'm going to stick with Biden on this. I'm hoping I'm wrong. Well, go check out Birch Gold right now. Philip Patrick, precious metal specialist for Birch Gold Group. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. All righty. So we are now six days out from the election. Got two additional hours of content coming up for you later today. Go check us out. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Nick Sheehan and Rebecca Doyle. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith, Those are fundamental, and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. This show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailywire and take their sleep quiz to find the mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has just the mattress for you. I took the Helix sleep quiz and was matched with a Helix midnight mattress because I wanted a medium firmness and I sleep on my side. I am sleeping so much better on my new mattress. Don't want to take my word for it? Well, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, and you won't believe how well you'll sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailywire and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. That's helixsleep.com slash dailywire, code helixpartner20.